Welcome to Brain Chatter. Join us as we explore real-life examples of leaders who listen past the daily noise, lead themselves and others with clarity, and make an effective difference on the front lines of leadership in life and work. I'm your host, Derek Brown. To see episode notes and to access links to any of the resources mentioned in this episode, visit brainchatterpodcast.com. Today's episode is on-the-job crisis management lessons of 2020, and our guest is Nate Pizzini, Assistant General Manager of Kennedy Valve Company based in Elmira, New York. Nate has spent 2020, like many organizational leaders, applying crisis management strategies and learning on-the-go how to manage a pandemic-level crisis better with each passing day. Nate, welcome to Brain Chatter. Hello, Derek, and thanks for having me on Brain Chatter. Absolutely. After the pandemic is eventually over, what do you expect at this point will have been the key takeaways for you personally and for Kennedy Valve? Well, Derek, I think there's four clear takeaways from from this for me and for Kennedy Valve. Clear, candid, and constructive communications is the first one. Honesty and transparency during the uncertainty of a global pandemic is critically important, including being brave enough to say, I don't know, if you don't know the answer. The second one is visibility, being visible to my team and not hiding in my office. My team members saw me every day walk the floor, interact with them, and doing my part to help with the disinfection plan. The greatest credit earned was during the small group town hall sessions giving team members the opportunity to see and speak with key managers on the topics and the plans moving forward. The third thing I would like to say is fair, firm, and friendly. Conveying that we're all in it together and being all in it together means that everyone is held to the same standards and expectations. And the last thing is establishing the environment of trust through teamwork and effective, meaningful communications. Thank you for sharing those. What are some changes implemented during 2020 in response to the pandemic that you think may be changes you keep in place, possibly permanently? This is a topic that uh, several of the management team and I have discussed. The idea that if someone is sick, they shouldn't be in the building so as not to spread the sickness to the rest of the factory community is important. In support of that idea, we would continue to utilize the technology purchased to monitor team members' temperatures. Additionally, we've divided the facility into functional areas and developed disinfection plans, and we believe that this will also be an important proactive measure as we move forward. Can you speak to a decision during the pandemic that you made and later decided there was a better choice, and so you made a pivot as a result and changed course? And can you speak to what helped you see the wisdom in that pivot? I sure can, Derek. Early on, the COVID team determined the need for staggered shifts to accommodate the requirements for reduced population density in common areas of the facility. We ended up with eight start times ranging from 4 a.m. to 7.30 a.m. After a few months, it was evident that this decision was taking its toll on everyone. Some enjoyed the early hours and some didn't, while others were quite upset with the late starts. As we evaluated the community spread data and effectiveness of our internal protocols, the decision was made to split the plant in half, with the foundry starting at 5 a.m. and the finishing starting at 5.30. We then collaborated on a staggered break schedule that complied with our collective bargaining contracts. 
The end result was very positive and strengthened the emphasis on teamwork and trust. What about a decision you made that was the correct one from the start and that you're especially grateful for having made during 2020? Well, in the beginning, New York State was instituting some very stringent restrictions as it related to population density within our facility. The situation was discussed and the decision was made that all non-essential personnel that could perform their jobs remotely would do so. This mainly impacted the administrative and sales staff here at Kennedy. Those that could not were assigned to a first shift and second shift uh, to further reduce population density. Those working remotely were phased back in to coincide with the New York State reopening plan, which resulted in them being remote for nearly three months. And then prior to returning to the facility, all those team members working remotely, we had them uh, tested to ensure that we did not bring the virus into the plant at all. That is a decision that I feel was the, the right one from the beginning. What would you say have been the very most important leadership skill sets that you've relied on most heavily in managing and leading a facility through 2020? Derek, I've relied heavily on building trust within a cross-functional team made up of leaders from both of Kennedy Valve's unions and management team by having clear, candid, and constructive communications on the ever-changing environment of the pandemic and how it impacts our team members. Can you say some about what Kennedy Valve manufactures and how what you manufacture is important to the safety of people all across the country and all across the world? Kennedy Valve is a full-line waterworks valve and hydrant manufacturer. We supply resilient-seated gate valves, fire hydrants, check valves, and grooved-in butterfly valves across all 50 states and worldwide. Our KD-1 fire hydrant is probably our best-known product due to its visibility in neighborhoods everywhere. And I I think I'm correct in saying that uh, whenever people are in their neighborhood, they can look on the side of the hydrant and see if it's one of yours, whether they live in uh, the United States or another country. Is that correct? That's correct. Everyone will say Kennedy Valve, Elmira, New York. Very nice. Let me go back and do a more in-depth introduction of you. Nate has a Bachelor of Science in Accounting and a Master of Business Administration. He started his journey with Kennedy Valve in 2006 as an accounting clerk and ultimately held the position of assistant controller in the accounting department. After four years in accounting, he turns his attention to Kennedy's Lean Continuous Improvement Transformation as the Lean Manager. He held roles in the operations side of the business and increasing levels of responsibility from Valve Stream Manager to Plant Manager, and in January of 2020 was promoted to Assistant General Manager. They often say it's lonely at the top, which is to say We all need someone we can confide in, someone to let us talk through challenges, and someone willing to offer us insights. This is increasingly difficult the higher that one rises in an organization where there are less and less and eventually no peers. How do you approach this challenge when you need to talk something out during a time like this in 2020? Well, let me start by saying the phrase is more a saying than anything and not necessarily a truth backed up by hard evidence. Rather than loneliness, I would state that the feeling might be better equated to isolation. 
Loneliness would indicate that I feel disconnected from my team members and potentially Kennedy Valve, which is certainly not the case. Now on to the idea of isolation. To avoid becoming insular, it's critical to solicit differing viewpoints. Otherwise, a leader could find themselves living in a bubble, or in other words, isolated. To combat isolation, I have a silent advisory board, a small, trusted support group that is willing to point out my blind spots and expand my view. I find this to be critical when approaching challenging situations or topics such as we are experiencing these days. At times, it's not so much about soliciting feedback or advice, but rather having the ability to work through thoughts and emotions with a trusted confidant. The last point I'd like to make on the topic of lonely at the top is that it's critical to remain connected, connected to the company and its vision, mission, and values, connected to the team members that make up our factory community, and lastly, connected to the customers and end users that purchase our critical infrastructure products. So, Nate, you mentioned that you have a silent advisory board. Are the people on this board people that are inside your facility and outside the facility, or are they, in, are they at other locations in your company? How do you pick who you want on that advisory board? Well, Derek, it is made up of people both inside and outside the walls of Kennedy Valve. Um, I have a few here within the, in the walls of Kennedy Valve that I really trust and are open to providing me those expanded viewpoints. And then I do have some um, connection with managers and leaders in other McQueen organizations that are uh, open to hearing me out and providing me with their thoughts and feedback also. And do they? Do you all talk at the same time, or are these people that you sort of go to on a one-on-one basis whenever you're perhaps considering uh, choices when you, when it comes to a big decision? I really use it more as a one-on-one um, because I, I would prefer to gather and solicit that feedback individually, and it allows me time to also evaluate uh, that information and make some decisions off of it. Absolutely, in a crisis. Getting timely and relevant information in the midst of all the other noise is critical, of course. How do you actively encourage your team members to give you that blunt, timely, and useful constructive feedback and uh, to do it in a way that you can feel confident you're getting the facts you need to make a good decision during the crisis? Derek? I believe that as leaders, we must have open, transparent communications during crisis management. As I mentioned previously, we set up a cross-functional COVID task force made up of leaders from both of our unions and key management personnel. During these meetings, we've openly discussed the situation and the changing dynamics to bridge the gap between the rhetoric and reality. As team members, we discuss the best methods and types of communication needed to seize control of the dialogue around COVID and ensure perceptions of the risk aligned with the reality of the risk. These interactions focused on winning the day and winning it together because we realized that tomorrow would present new challenges. Ultimately, the trust built within the task force has trickled down effects resulting in team members openly approaching leadership, company and union both, in a less fear-based manner, which resulted in the confidence of the decisions that we have made. What has been the most frustrating part of the entire year and the pandemic situation in general for you? 
Well, Derek, this is a, a interesting question. Uh, throughout the pandemic, the most difficult aspect to manage has been the unscheduled absences or prolonged absences for the safety of all team members. The burden and stress that this put on team members present and the pressure managers and supervisors have endured to keep Kennedy Valve operating daily has been challenging. We've had to go so far as to make the tactical decision to increase manning beyond standard needs to decrease this burden, which hiring during a uh, pandemic presents its own set of challenges. All in all, I commend the Kennedy Valve team for their continued efforts to meet expectations and satisfy our customers' demands. Have you felt the need to communicate more with team members, clients, vendors, regulators, contractors, and other stakeholders during COVID? I'm probably going to sound like a broken record at this point, but I can't overstate how critical, candid, and constructive communication have been during the last eight months. The CDC has a manual. Crisis and Emergency Risk Communications that has about 50 pages dedicated to messaging and audience. It spells out the necessity for accurate, timely messaging coupled with empathy and transparency equals successful communication. To put that more simply, credibility plus trust equals effective communications. We'll also link to that CDC manual in the notes at brainchatterpodcast.com for anyone who is not aware of it and wants to see a copy. That's a good idea. What have been some of the lessons that came out of the added communication? Well, Derek, I'm going to try to avoid uh, sounding like a politically motivated statement, but it will be difficult. Those in the know outside the McQueen Kennedy Valve organization have not done well at following the formula I had previously laid out in the CDC communication. So what we've received is messaging that hasn't been timely in some cases, not clear and concise, and lacks transparency. What we've learned, and I feel we've been effective at, is paring down the messaging to single-page documents to be read by leadership and handed out to our team members. What are some of the ways in your manufacturing facility that you provided an environment where people can keep themselves safe and feel confident in the company's safety protocols? Well, this really starts with the cross-functional COVID task force that was made up of the key management and representatives from both of uh, Kennedy Valve's collective bargaining units. Communications to gain support and buy-in from the bargaining units has increased implementation and confidence. So we have several factors here, and I'd like to start with discussing engineering controls. So when I say engineering controls, I mean we've reconfigured workstations where it was possible. Um, In in instances, we've installed Lexan partitions in between workstations. We've also gone so far as to increase ventilation in work areas. The next thing is cleaning and disinfection. We've implemented uh, standard and enhanced cleaning protocols, daily and weekly cleaning schedules that are audited by plant management and the safety department. Uh, One of the more interesting tools that we've utilized during the pandemic is a uh, tomahawk power mister, uh, more commonly known as a mosquito fogger. And we use that on a schedule to conduct mass disinfections and then providing additional disinfecting supplies to all of our individual workstations. Facial coverings have been required throughout the facility, 
And due to continued community spread, we've actually had to go far as far as making them mandatory at all times. Daily temperature monitoring is something that takes place. We've purchased some technology for daily temperature monitoring. Um, it does infrared readings, and it also will tell the team member as to whether or not they're wearing their facial covering. We use this for our team members and our visitors. And then lastly, we divided the plant into functional areas and implemented the staggered shifts uh, where possible. What about accountability? Has maintaining accountability in the workplace been the same, more difficult, or less difficult during the COVID-19 situation? I would have to say that maintaining accountability for the regular activities and expectations of the Kennedy Valve team members has not waned and thus have not been any more or less difficult. However, with regard specifically to COVID, I have to be honest that some team members have not done well at leading themselves. In all reality, Kennedy Valve and our team members reside in a relatively rural setting in the twin tiers of New York and PA. The, the realities directly related to COVID have not been felt or recognized until the recent spike in cases during September and October. Through the summer months, positive cases in the community were running at less than 1%, which I believe gave a false sense of security to the community and our team members. Additionally, it hardened the personal beliefs that COVID wasn't quote-unquote real. Those beliefs led to some difficult conversations and actions with team members at all levels to reinforce the necessity for our protocols. In a recent article in the Wharton Magazine, Pharmaceutical company CEO Mahesh Karande discussed his key takeaways from crisis management. His background included that he had worked in and managed large teams in Egypt and Africa during the Arab Spring unrest and later in sub-Saharan Africa during the Ebola outbreak and the global oil crisis. Among his most important takeaways were empathetic responses, transparent and clear two-way communications, leading by example, and practical, simple solutions, because those are the ones that are most likely to be effective and remembered. I'll link to the article in the episode notes at brainchatterpodcast.com, as we mentioned. I'd love to hear more about your strategies around what have been done to make the crisis management solutions that you've presented clear and simple so that everyone remembers the new procedures even while they're still busy with their normal work processes and normal life stress? Well, first, I'm going to reflect back to the part of lessons learned. Um, taking the immense amount of information that was coming out in the early stages and paring it down to single-page documents to be read by leadership and handed to team members. Second, reutilizing a communication board to put critical information and case count for the Twin Tier region. This board is in a high traffic zone, so team members can read and review it on their own time. Third, keeping the union leadership thoroughly involved has paid huge dividends due to their ability to speak as one voice with managerial staff on the key issues or directives. Lastly, frequent uh, revisits through startup puddles and the key topics surrounding COVID mitigation. Ultimately, I have to restate that open, transparent communication has been a key ingredient in managing the crisis for Kennedy Valve and myself. 
In one of our recent Brain Chatter podcast episodes, which was the one where we interviewed the CEO of Shipped, Kelly Caruso, she shared with me her favorite question of insight that she regularly asks her team. It is, are we solving the same problem? It makes everyone stop and evaluate by definition what the problem is that they're solving and to make sure that everyone is in fact solving the same one. Do you have a particular question that you like to ask your team that you have found to be of particular benefit and in yielding insight? Derek, I don't believe I have a phrase or a question used in the way that you suggest. However, in working with individual contributors, the underlying focus I share is that it is our ability to serve each other well that will position us to serve our customers with excellence. That focus seems to change everything. Absolutely. Are there any books or other resources, blogs, anything out there that you found particularly helpful to your career over the years that, that you recommend to others? Yes, I have a few authors that I enjoy reading and frequently uh, revisit some of their writings. Uh, Patrick Lencioni is probably one of my favorites. Uh, I enjoy his book, The Advantage, The Ideal Team Player, Three Signs of a Miserable Job, and Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Uh, Brene Brown, her book, Dare to Lead, I enjoy reading. And Jim Collins, Built to Last and Good to Great. His two books are ones that I like to read. Thank you for sharing those. We've covered a whole spectrum of issues and topics today that tie into your crisis management in 2020 and what a year for it. What have we missed? Derek, I feel as though we've completed a fairly deep dive into crisis management 2020. I greatly appreciate you presenting me the opportunity to share my thoughts on the subject with you and the Brain Chatter listeners. Absolutely. Thank you for your time on the podcast, Nate. For the convenience of those listening, we're going to post a link to your bio, your LinkedIn, and some more information on resources discussed online at brainchatterpodcast.com. Brain Chatter is a production of Ken Chapman and Associates Incorporated. We assist clients across North America and beyond with leadership development, corporate culture transformation initiatives, behavior-based professional development for health and safety issues, individual and team assessments, conflict and performance management, succession planning, and team building, making a difference in organizations and individuals' lives for almost 40 years. Learn more at leaderscode.com.